every time they see you not do it, it sends one message home louder than everything else. Church is for children. It's a thing mom and dad make me do, but when I become an adult, it's unimportant. That's what you're handing down if you don't practice it at home. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Bulletin, the official parish podcast of St. Anthony of Padua. My name is Nate Hoffman. I am the Communications and Development Coordinator here at St. Anthony's, and I am joined today by the Sultan of SWAT, Michael Gormley. <laughs> yes, the Sultan of Swatting Flies. That's me, not Babe Ruth. Yeah, he, uh, the Sultan of laying back in his easy chair and uh, kind of lazily swatting away at the bugs that are infesting his living room. I, I always feel like like they have like a picture of like a sultan where people are feeding him grapes and he just hmm. he's got some little like palm branch and he's swatting. They swat that. They swat that away. Oh yes, that's this is that's my life. That's my life. That is. Uh, how's it going, Mike? Having a good week? Having a great week. Rearranged my office, shocked everyone. This is like a part of my uh gormley gets antsy about his life and he doesn't want to make moral life changes so he rearranges furniture yeah i've Time. been there yeah, yeah no i'm I, I generally clean the same thing over the easy stuff in the house to clean yeah. i'll clean that over and over like i won't touch the showers or bathrooms but i'll like dust the kitchen counters and that kind of thing yeah but then when you realize like oh man i really should get control of my anger problem or i could lift this desk and move it to a different corner of the yeah. office then i'm like yeah yeah, yeah. oh my gosh i'm discovering yard work I think that falls in that category <laughs> as well. I got to go. Mow, I've mowed the lawn three days ago, but gosh dang it, I'm going to go make sure it's nice and trim because I don't want to deal with my emotions right now. <laughs> it needs another mow. You just mowed. It needs another mow. <laughs> so good to have you. We're we've we're on a great run at, at Beyond the Bulletin, and and that is not talking about the the host at all. It's talking about the guest we had. Uh, Tony Melendez was on uh, last week. It was an awesome conversation. We're right. super excited for that concert uh, this coming Friday, so October 15th. So hopefully you're hearing this before then. You can still buy your tickets. Um, and then we had Father Jesse on. He gave a great uh, breakdown of the Focolare movement and movements in general in the, in the Catholic Church and um, – Really, uh, a peek into his spirituality and, and his mission yeah. here at at St. Anthony's. So I'm I'm very excited about uh, those two uh, individuals, um, and I'm I'm excited to have Father Jesse here at the parish. But this week, uh, we're going to dive into the five crucial questions every Catholic parent must answer. Mm. Did you just think of that off the top of your head? No, I saw that on a BuzzFeed list earlier today. <laughs> it, it's totally a BuzzFeed listicle headline. Yeah, absolutely. What are the five crucial questions? You won't believe <laughs> number three. Um, <laughs> I totally should have said that. Yeah, so did you come up with this list? I did, but it's based on the social. So it's the five crucial questions every Catholic parent should answer. And it's based on the sociological research of... Christian Smith, who's a researcher at Notre Dame, sociologist at Notre Dame, and uh, his colleague Amy something Polish, and I still am ashamed of myself that I can't remember her, her last name. Something Polish, those, or it is Polish? It's it's a Polish last name that starts with an A, and it's got one of those Polish letters in it that's not like, that's uh, not a fancy English thing, so like Wojtyla has the T, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the book is called Handing Down the Faith, and one of the problems that we began to address a little bit more systematically 
is the reality that so many Catholic young adults are leaving the faith pretty consistently to the tune of about six or eight young adults leave the church for every one young adult that enters the church. So we are hemorrhaging people. So one of the things that we did was we offered the return class, bring them back to church. And it wasn't just for children, uh, parents whose adult children have left the faith. It was also for, you know, if your brother or your own parents have left the faith. Like, how do we start to attract people, draw them back? But then the, the other thing is, the other way to approach this is, all right, we need to talk to parents who are in the middle of parenting, whose kids are still young and at home, and get them into the habits of mind of uh, how do I hand on the faith in a real way? And so the whole point of the book, Handing Down the Faith, is they did this survey, an extensive survey. They identified multiple different demographic groups wherein the faith was being handed on. And then where those parents who said they successfully handed it on, they went and did these intensive two to three hour long interviews with every parent, ask them all these questions, arrange the data, and these are their conclusions. And they didn't just talk to Catholics they talk, or, or, or European descended Catholics. They talked to um, Latinos. They talked to uh, black Protestants. They talked to Orthodox Jews. They talked to Hindus who are immigrants here in America. They talked to these major demographic groups that, that where religion was a central focus of their identity, right? Despite the religion, despite the background, this is what they discovered. So I took their data and I kind of put it inside a Catholic perspective. If I'm a Catholic parent and I got a kiddo in faith formation, I got a kiddo who's in sack prep, you know, going to get his or her first Holy Communion this year. What, what do I need to be doing to make sure I'm not like those parents who in tears week after week in that class of draw them back to church who were just like, please pray for my daughter. You know, she wants nothing to do with the church. You know, how do we begin to hand this on in, an, in a good and effective way? Yeah, and it's not a problem that can, well, it, it certainly can be solved, I guess, after the, the child is, has left the faith, right? Um, but uh, there's prayer, there's uh, the, the example of yeah. Augustine's mom, for example. I mean, yeah. she just prayed, prayed, and prayed, and prayed. And, yeah, but St. It, it, Saint, Saint Monica, uh, <laughs> there's a great line that she was talking with Ambrose, who had become friends with Augustine, and she said, he said to her, Monica, you need to talk less to Augustine about God and talk more to God about Augustine, right? And that was one of the mottos mm. of the class, like pray, 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 and then pray some more and then fast. Like that's the stuff that we, and do it in a community. That's the stuff that we were trying to teach in that draw them back to church. Right. So the best time to ensure or bring your child back to the faith or into the faith is far before they ever, before they uh, ever leave, before they ever leave. Yeah. So when they're in the house and when you're, um, they're five years old, you know, and they're making, making, uh, sort of rules for them or, or setting a life up for them. I am, um, I am childless at this point in my life. I don't want to brag, but I'm getting married in uh, 14 and a half days. So that's pretty big, but I'm looking at that list of five things and there's at least three of them I can start right now. Yeah. So this, these list, this is not something to do. Like once your kid is 13 years old and she, and they're asking you questions about, you know, uh, the Trinity or, or why should I, have to go to mass because a bishop tells me to all those things yeah you should be able to answer those questions but you should also be spending those first years of their formative uh you know childhood uh living in a a christian manner that mike's going to dive into and we're going to we're going to break down these five questions so um just want to start at the top I'll, I'll read off these um these questions and you can explain a little bit more behind yep. the uh okay so uh number one 
a question that uh, every Catholic parent must answer. Am I raising my kids to be strong, holy Catholic adults? So you want to break that down for us, Mike? Yeah, so one of the problems I think we have is we don't start with the end in mind, right? That's what we need to do. We need to start with the end in mind. And the end is going to dictate the means to get to that end. Too often, parents think on very short terms. And we're, we're kind of taught to think that way. The school year, the semester, the quarter, whatever it might be, soccer seasons, all this stuff. We tend to think only within those parameters. But as a Catholic, what I've discovered in doing youth ministry for 15 years is that oftentimes we only think in terms of this retreat, this semester, or this school year, especially for faith formation with elementary age children, we tend to only think either in terms of successful events or successful school years. And the problem with that is we have the wrong end in mind, so we choose the wrong means. Perfect illustration. You can have a an idea of like, I want my kid to really enjoy their first year in confirmation or the second year in confirmation like the confirmation year they're going to get confirmed at the end that we want them to have a great time so then comes the confirmation retreat and if i want them to have a great time on the confirmation retreat what am i going to do well my end is that they enjoy it so everything i'm going to choose along those lines is going to be for maximizing what i deem is enjoyable for them so that might mean i don't have confession or I don't challenge them with the gospel message. I don't call them on to repentance or in conversion because that means you need to change because you're not doing the right thing, right? So when we talk about this, I can play, you know, we can have the musicians play intense music and sappy music and quiet music and engaging music and swelling music and all this stuff and emotionally manipulate teenagers to get a desired end, which is my job security. They're like, oh my gosh, mom, dad, it was an amazing retreat. I cried. I laughed. We had so much fun. It was awesome. They tell the pastor, the pastor gives me a raise and everything is uh, hunky dory, right? I have been on so many retreats in this country where they violated the first law of Catholic youth ministry, which is it is a mortal sin to emotionally manipulate a teenager. Yeah, I mean, that's what we were taught at Franciscan. Dr. Bob Rice, right out the gate, here is the number one mortal sin. You may never manipulate emotionally a teenager to get your end result. Because what happens is when they go on events, conferences, retreats, programs, whatever, the end result is I had a good time on that thing. But two weeks later, their lives aren't transformed. They're going right back to it. And so the question is, how good was that retreat? The way you measure it is, where are they in a year, not where are they in a week? In a week, they're still riding the highs, and it was good, and it was fun, and it had this great bonding experience with maybe your peers or your teacher. All that's good. You want that stuff happening. But if it's just emotional, when the emotions fade, so does their faith. And so what we want to do is equip them. So, for instance, Bob Rice said, instead of, like, having them, you know, write a letter to their parents and, you know, get all these emotions and all this stuff going on. And then you say, do you want to give your life to Jesus in the midst of emotional music playing after you made them watch a video clip of, you know, some sad story where they're crying and all this stuff? He said, what I do is I give them the Sermon on the Mount and I send them out for an hour and I say, do you want to live this life? Then pray and make a decision to follow Christ because this is what he's asking of you. And it, that's a totally different thing, right? One's a foundation of sand and the other one's a foundation of rock because the winds will come, the rains will come, the floods will come. Jesus promises us that in Matthew 7. But he said, the difference is the house that's built on rock withstands all the horribleness. The one built on sand doesn't. And so 
as a Catholic adult who is a parent of four kids, seven kids, three in heaven, right? My idea, my goal is I don't want them just to be, to have a good experience now. I want them to be strong, holy Catholic adults. So that's going to change the way I view and equip my kids. And that's a perspective that only an adult and a parent can have uh, in respect to their kid, because no kid at seven years old is thinking about being 25 you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're thinking about their summer or their weekend experience or, yeah. or they're not able to plan. So only you as a parent is able to map out that um, vision you have for your kid as a strong, holy Catholic adult. So maybe you have to limit some emotional experience that you know that they're going to have fun at, but you know, in the long run is, is not going to be good. Um, when when you faith. were raised, did your parents pass down dollar bills to put in the collection basket? Yeah, we put, we did that, right? Yeah, well, did, but did was it your dad's money? Of like, course, it was my dad's money yeah. all the time, right? You and take out the dog, and I kind of love that, right? That's like this thing. But I also am like a Dave Ramsey guy, so I've gone through Financial Peace University, and I'm working my debt snowball and all that stuff with the student loan debt and saving money and all these things. And I found that my parents never taught me the value of a dollar. Now that doesn't mean that they were crazy with it. It's Dave Ramsey has this line where he says. Uh, this is kind of funny. He said, our parents never talked about two things, money or sex. Because they never talked about it, we thought they had neither. Turns out they had both. And so <laughs> so when it came to being raised, my parents just didn't talk about it. It was like impolite to talk about money. So I, I didn't know what to do with money until I looked at this stuff on my own. Now, my kids, on the other hand, because I've been through the program and I have the children's books on the program and all my kids, I've read Dave Ramsey's children's books about money and all this stuff. My kids have give, save, spend jars. Every time they get money, they have to divvy it out. Last Sunday, I, I was like, oh, the collection basket's coming. So I pulled out my wallet, and I went to go give my kids money, and my kids pulled out their dollar bills and go, no, we got it, Dad, and because awesome. they all brought it from give. Now, what am I trying to do? I'm not teaching them about money because I need them to professionally manage their money now. I'm giving them these little skills at an age-appropriate way so that when they're an adult, they don't make the decisions that I made, which is my student loan money, half of it went to school, the other half went to, we'll call them consumable goods <laughs> and services at local establishments. I have no idea what you're referring to. Alcohol, I drank a lot with oh, my wow. friends in nice. college. Nice. <laughs> so our goal is, are we raising good, strong Catholic adults? If, if that's the aim, then we need to build in habits of things like personal prayer. Not just that you have fun at VBS, right, where we go to an event-based ministry, but like, am I doing these things? Am I setting them up that when they're an adult, they have that firm foundation upon which a life can be built, a Catholic life can be built? Something that's important to, to remind ourselves of, especially in this culture, is that as parents and as adults, you are the only one able to teach your kid. Your your kid cannot teach themselves, or they're they're not in a position to be making these types right. of decisions. You, Mike, are so much smarter than your kids. So and much. I, I'm they're not so sucking dumb. up to you at all. That's just <laughs> the, the the reality of yeah. life. Is like any adult. I, I believe this almost as a law that anyone who's older than me knows more than me. Maybe not about my specific thing, <laughs> yeah. but they just know more because yeah. they're 40 years old. You know, you you have more experience of life than I do. And you as a parent or someone who's preparing to be a parent or a single person who will be a parent someday knows more than your, your kids or your future kids. And it's your responsibility to pass that on. Yeah. And we're going to do a lot, talk a lot more about that when we get to question number four. Okay. So let's move on. Question number two. Am I modeling what that looks like? So am I modeling what being a strong, holy Catholic adult 
looks like. Yeah, and see, this is the thing that so many parents miss. The content of the faith is not a list of doctrines to be believed and behaviors to do or be avoided, right? When we reduce the faith to just these external things, what ends up happening is it ceases to be a way of life and just becomes an ism, like every other ism, Catholicism, right? It just becomes another ism, an ideology, um, a thing you do to belong to a club or clique or whatever. It doesn't become a way of life, right? A way of life matters. And so the way a, a faith like ours is handed down to our children, handed on to the next generation, is by first me taking it seriously enough to do it. And I, I said this to all the parents at every one of the parent meetings. I did, I think I did eight of them by the end of week one and a half because we got a rain delay with the hurricane coming in for one of them. But every single one of them I said, you can't send your kids to church to learn this stuff and then it's not practice at home because what will happen is every kid that sees mom and dad who – not going to church, not praying on their own or as a couple or as a family, not praying before meals, not making moral decisions in line with the church, not prioritizing Christ and scripture and all this stuff. Every time they see you not do it, it sends one message home louder than everything else. Church is for children. It's a thing mom and dad make me do, but when I become an adult, it's unimportant. That's what you're handing down if you don't practice it at home. So right now we have like from our masses pre-COVID, we're around like 60% in some of the masses, some of our bigger masses, 60, 65%, sometimes it bumps up to 80% of previous attendance now, right? The 11 o'clock mass, sometimes it's 1,000, used to be 1,400 or 1,500. But the funny thing is faith formation are, across the board is almost at 100%. So that means there are more kids who are going to class than families going to mass. And so what we need to do is, one, it's great that they're sending our kids here. And we we do want to encourage all parents, send your kids to faith formation. But it's actually undoing what we're doing for an hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes, two hours, whatever it might be, whatever program they might be involved in. It actually is undoing everything you think you're accomplishing by sending them. And so what we need to do is figure out, okay, am I, as a parent, really modeling the stuff like can i explain the trinity i know a lot of our children's faith formation they're talking about god and the trinity father son holy spirit do i even know what that means like do i even rationally understand what the church teaches does anyone rationally understand the trinity? you you, you can uh, uh apprehend without comprehending okay. right it is a All mystery right. but to say like three persons one nature because how many parents how many adults do i hear say things like well jesus isn't god you're like, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Oh, wow. All that. Is, I hear that all the time. And so the idea is, okay, I need to learn my faith. I need to level up. Am I studying, praying on my own? It, for parents who don't know how to pray, I was giving them pro tips every step along the way. I was like, listen, here's what you do. You wake up 15 minutes earlier, just 15. You don't need to be crazy. 15 minutes, get a cup of coffee. No one can pray in the morning without coffee. Mm -hmm. You get a cup of coffee, you sit down with the Bible, it can be on your phone, but it probably shouldn't. You sit down with the Bible, open up to Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest of all the Gospels. It's 16 chapters long. Read one or two chapters a day. That's it. And then pretty soon what you'll do is you'll start praying. And then you'll start thinking about it. And then you'll see the life of Christ and you'll be like, wow, that was interesting. Oh, I never heard that. Wow, I never knew that. And then you start hearing the words, and then you start bringing them into your daily life. And then the words and deeds of Jesus shape who you are, which is what prayer is all about.
And one little cheat code there is that if you start praying habitually, this is something I've heard about kids, they see everything. Yeah. So they they stumble upon you because they wake up early too. They might walk in on, in on you reading the Bible. They, they see that three, four times in a row, then they're going to start asking questions and, yep. and maybe want to imitate you if, yep. if you're doing it with love. And um, that sort of thing snowballs, especially with, with kids, as, as far as I know. I don't have any kids. But, <laughs> but I you know were that, one. Right, <laughs> you I know, was one. You remember this. More is caught than taught. That's right. My son, I, I, I bought this brand new Ascension Bible for kids. I can't remember what it's called, but it's this great big, it's like a bunch of the main, it's like 72 stories and it's beautifully illustrated, excellent summaries. It's not a Bible, but it's a summary of it. And I told my son, no, I said, listen, I just got this. It's supposed to be really, really good. I mean, it's beautiful. I will pay you a dollar per story. If you read this, you could not, I could not pay him to read it. Wow. But he saw me reading my Bible and then he walked over and grabbed the children's Bible and when you know it, he read the whole thing cover to cover, which is like five times longer than this Ascension Press book. So yeah, more is caught than taught. So yeah, I think you said something wise there with that we have a, a duty to study the faith. That, that doesn't stop with when you get confirmed. I think many of us um, assume that the faith is just, is just love, yeah. uh, but we've been given uh, reason and will mm -hmm. so our, our will is what loves and we have an equal duty to sharpen that you know strengthen our will we have to sharp, strengthen our reason as yep. well so uh you have you should be reading uh, even as an adult like theological books i, I read a the theology insanities is a good one to start oh, with oh that's um, awesome yeah it's, it's or theology for beginners both by the same author covers similar material so instead of a yeah. treatise on you know how to love your neighbor a little bit better it's it's more about how to know god a mm -hmm. little bit better and yeah. and it's that's a, another cyclical thing where your your knowledge leads to more love which leads to more desire for knowledge so yeah every human being wants to be known and loved because we're made in the image and likeness of god who is truth itself and love itself right god is love first john 4 8 first john 4 16 so if we want to enter into what it means to be united to god it is truth and love so that means that if i'm made in the image and likeness of god i need to first come to god and contemplate him as truth and love i need to know him i need to learn to know him all that much more like every day is is a wonderful opportunity to learn and i the analogy i like to use is with my wife so i met her she was a graduate student and i was a young naive undergrad mm. unsure about ways of the world wow. kind of a mrs robinson situation there uh, absolutely wow. absolutely i was like miss shannon rothkov i think you're trying to seduce me yeah. and then she said who are you what was and your then name was, yeah what was your what I'm sorry, run away, little boy. And I was Go. like, ah, I'm a man, a real man. That's and a I good movie. Ran. I can't wait to see the screenplay. That <laughs> Thank you. But, but <laughs> imagine before I met her, uh, a man from the NSA comes up to me, trench coat, pulls out this big file dossier thing on the woman named Shannon Marie Rothkoff, right? And it has all these facts and figures, dates, times, all, stories, whatever. Now, it's one thing to know about her, and that's what I could get, the type of knowledge I could get from reading through that dossier on her. And then one semester later, there she is at Franciscan, and I meet her, and we laugh and joke, and we go out to Mulaney's Harp and Fiddle in downtown Pittsburgh, and all of our friends get to know each other, and I get to know her friends, and all these different things. It's one thing to know about someone. It's another thing to have direct, unmediated knowledge of them directly, right? I could hear about you, but now I get to know you. 
the fascinating thing with the Catholic Church is the church encourages you to encounter God. We use the language of like encounter and, you know, all this stuff to encounter God, to meet Jesus, right? And then from that to learn about Jesus, because here's the beautiful thing. If I knew nothing about Shannon, but just knew her and experienced her, well, I mean, is that really loving that I don't know her middle name and her birth date and her parents' names and all that stuff? No, like every new thing you learn about someone that you love is another reason to love them. So there is ultimately the, the truth and the love of God collapse. They're, they're, we call it coterminous. They end in the same thing that we can't really understand. But it's this constant drive to every new thing I learn about God is another reason to love him. That's not exactly true about my wife or me or you because sometimes we can be pretty bad people and you find out a new thing about me and you're like, wow, I really don't like Gomer anymore, right? But, but that can't be true with God. Every that new can't. thing we find out is going to yeah. be like the most special, amazing thing because yeah. it's and, all perfect. And because he's the infinite God, he's inexhaustible. So studying our faith in an academic way means I can't just have a childish image of the flood and Noah's covenant. It's not just some cutesy little children's thing with a giraffe head popping out a square window and it's like, yay, right? We have cartoonish images, which is appropriate for children, but we're adults now. It's time to wrestle. Why are these stories the stories that endured for four or 5,000 years? So we need to start having an adult faith. So check out Frank Sheed. Uh, yeah. Check out C.S. Lewis. He's uh, Mere Christianity is a good one oh, to, so good. to check out and and read the Gospels and, and start a uh, yeah. habit of prayer that uh, is a model for your kids. So that was number two. Am I modeling what being a strong, holy Catholic adult looks like? Number three, do I have frequent, relaxed, non-scripted conversations about the faith? This is the most important research that they wanted to highlight. Do I have frequent, relaxed, and unscripted conversations about the faith. Now, I love to hear the sound of my own voice. That's why I have multiple podcasts. We're about to launch the new podcast, etc., with Mike <laughs> Gormley, Evangelization Theology Catechesis. Like, I love me. I'm a I'm a narcissist but with low self-esteem. So, I'm just constantly looking for people to affirm me. Great combo, yeah. I know it's 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 a rough life I live. Mm -hmm. Uh but at the same time, I'm always ready with a lecture, a talking to to my kids. But here's the thing that it asks. It asks, do you have frequent, not, oh my gosh, it's my kid's uh, first Holy Communion assessment. Now let's run through all this stuff I was supposed to be teaching for the last four months. No, frequent. Because if it's a frequent conversation, it's because it's a part of your life. Like, and I shared with the parents the story I, that I love. Um, Father David was encouraging me to do the office of readings and to not just pray morning. I, I basically, when it comes to the liturgy of the hours, I just do morning prayer. Me too. Yeah. I, I never do evening or. Uh, yeah, evening yeah. Night. And I love morning prayer. It really yeah. sets the day up right, right? But um, so I, I flipped open in the app and I was going through the office of readings and it said, well, today is the feast of the Korean martyrs. And I was like, Korean martyrs. Then it had about a paragraph explanation of the church in um, Korea. And I had no idea any of this stuff. Japanese soldiers, who a handful of them converted to Catholicism, were sent by the emperor in the 1700s to invade Korea. They did a whole all sorts of horrible stuff and the war and fighting. Some of their books got left behind. And the crazy thing is 5,000 Koreans read these books and converted to Christianity, to, to Catholicism without ever encountering a Catholic. That's incredible. so Right, so they have these books. Then a priest is formally sent to evangelize Koreans, and he finds this community of 5,000. Within like a year, it doubled. 
And that was their first time they met a priest like two generations or three generations later. It's insane, right? And it's this fascinating story. And I'm like reading this and I'm like, guys, this is, this is, a, this is one paragraph. That's a frequent conversation I can have with my kids. But if I'm not taking in anything, I don't have subject matter for which to have frequent, relaxed, and unscripted. What do we mean by that? You're not here to teach them a moral. You're not here to be like, okay, kids, today we're going to talk about the Trinity. One day my daughter looked at me and she goes, dad, um, how do I know that Jesus is, is real? Like, I, I don't see him. How do I know that the bread at mass is really Jesus? It doesn't taste like anything. Because when you're in the environment, all of a sudden, you start to create these conversations and have them. Frequent, relaxed. There's no goal. They're, you're not trying to get them to be like, aha, now I will repent and change my life, Father. You have convinced me. You're having this because it's who you are. It flows from you. It flows from them. And it's encouraged. They said that that was the num one of the, besides personally modeling, having these conversations is the most important thing behind modeling it yourself. To sustain, uh, I mean, like, when I heard that, I was like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense because it's such a part of your life. It seems just as important to uh, create an environment where it's a two-way street. Yeah. Not, not that you can force your kid to ask these questions because that would not be uh, mm. relaxed or, or <laughs> it would be scripted. It would be very scripted. <laughs> <laughs> right. But but to set up an environment where your kid feels very comfortable coming to you with a question yeah. uh, and they know that they're not going to be, uh, you know, you should have known that already. Mm -hmm. or I, I, that was sort of our environment growing up. We were mm. like, didn't you learn this in school type of situation? And uh, so it wasn't uh, was not necessarily relaxed, but... Um, <laughs> it was high stress, but frequent <laughs> and unscripted. It was like boiler room in there. Like we had, <laughs> uh, but uh, so so setting up a, a house where uh, the two-way conversation is, yeah. is active. So that means you as the parent have to be the first one to act, right? You were the lover, I guess, in this situation. Um, so you have to just start the conversation, but I, I don't have kids. Do they frequently come and ask these questions after the environment is established? See, and, and to me, in my mind, I want it to be so catechetical because I'm literally a graduate school trained catechist. Like I went to grad school and majored in this stuff, but the things that they ask is not the first part of the catechism. The majority, which is on the creed and doctrines of the church, the majority of stuff that that comes up is why does father david chant like what what is that singing that he's doing right it doesn't sound like a pop song right i don't get what he's doing so we have a conversation right daddy what did they mean by that in the in the homily when he said such and such right that becomes a conversation that we have um personal prayer like okay who do we need to pray for right have that conversation at dinner not just when you're having your prayer time with your family. Because we pray a decade of the rosary as a family. And we say, okay, who do you want to pray for? All you have to do is take that part, separate it out from the family rosary that you'll pray later, and just ask them at the dinner table. Like, hey, who, who do we need to pray for? You're having unscripted, right? That's that's the kind of thing that you're just like, yeah, what's going on? Have frequent conversations. What do you think of mass? What do you think of class? Oh, you, you know, what do you think of your teacher? What do you think of Father Jesse? What do you think of Father David? What do you think of Father Matthew? Right, like these are things because... You're engaging them in the life of the church, not just in the doctrines and the and the morals, right? It, it's broader than that. Mm -hmm. This seems like a, uh, a principle that will come about once one is more in love with the church and with God, mm -hmm. because you always talk about 
what you're in love with. You know how yeah. people who go to CrossFit, that's all they talk about? <laughs> well, the the truth is they, they love CrossFit. So, yeah. of course, they talk about it all the time. They had positive experiences. It was right. community reinforced. I found that, experience. again, I'll, I bring it up all the time. But in the last year and a half, I've talked about my fiance, Emily, more than anything else because I love her. I love talking about her. And that's just <laughs> the reality of uh, being in love with anything. Yeah. So, if you fall in love with God, these types of non-scripted conversations are just going to come about because that's what you want to talk about. That's what you want to share. So yeah. uh, again, this that sort of uh, goes with number two, uh, modeling a, a Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. So once you have a habit of prayer, you can't fake this. You cannot fake it. You can't fake it because what you're gonna do if you're gonna fake it is it's not gonna be unscripted. It's gonna be very scripted. Yeah. And then you won't be relaxed because you're trying to prove something to someone. That's that's silly, right? Start to model it. Start to pray. Come back to mass. Go to confession. Get your life rebooted. And then once it's rebooted, you're like, yeah, okay, I get, I, I'm reading, I'm going to read this Scott Hahn book called um, The Lamb's Supper on the Mass. Excellent book to just read about the Mass and the Bible. And then you read it like, oh my goodness, I had no idea all this stuff in the Mass is from the Bible. And then maybe you talk to your wife or you talk to your husband, you say, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to go to the biblical walk through the Mass Bible study because that was really cool and eye-opening. Then all of a sudden you're having to explain to your kids why on Thursday night you're going to be here from 6.30 to 8.30 and you'll catch them on their homework when you get home because dad or because mom for the first time is studying at an academic level their faith. This is where this stuff comes from, right? So Scott Hahn and Edward Shree, two other um, really easy to read authors. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Modern they're, authors. Yeah. They're, they're more modern. All right. Let's do the next question. You Number ready? four. Do I have clear moral standards? Now, this is something that is difficult because the book was very, very, very clear about the clear moral standards. And it's not just moral standards. It's standards across the board, right? So academic standards, hygiene, like you're going to be all that stuff. The reason why the faith gets handed on effectively, like 75% of children raised in Orthodox Jewish families remain devout Orthodox Jews. 75%. Wow. Yeah. We're about 6% as Catholics. 6 or 75%. Yeah. What's the difference? So one of the things is a clear way of life, right? You can see that when you think of Orthodox Jews, you think of kosher, you think of strict Sabbath laws. So someone asked me at one of the parent meetings, well, what does that look like? And I said, well, they call it, this is literally the language, general authoritarianism. So you're not a tyrant, but like you as the parent, right? Your goal is not to be their buddy. Your goal is to raise good, strong, holy Catholic adults. So if you think my goal is for them to be my buddy, then you're going to make decisions that always bend these rules. Because I don't know if you know this about kids, Nate, but they don't like living by clear moral standards that make them stand out or stand apart or feel left out. They don't like that, right? But as parents, we know that there are some behaviors that are destructive. So let me give you a case in point. One day, Shelly Wilson, our confirmation coordinator, got a phone call from a mom. And it was a friend of hers that she knew, might have even been a parishioner. I don't know that. But um, a bunch of freshman girls were going drinking at the top of the Tinseltown Cinemark uh, Theater parking garage. And there was a bunch of senior boys. And these were incoming freshmen into the Woodlands High School. And the mom called and said, I heard you're not letting your daughter go. And she's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, did you hear? It's not like a, a whatever. They're, they're drinking, and it's literally like a bunch of senior boys. And I don't, you know, obviously that's horrible, and I don't feel comfortable. 
you know, obviously. And she thought this mom didn't know. Like, it was the still the she still believed the cover story that the kids yeah, were using. Right. And it was dead silence at the other end of the phone. And the mom just goes, don't you want your daughter to be popular? The mom knew. The mom knew that this was was a horribly compromising situation. And and she was willing to do it because that's what she wanted for her daughter because that's what her daughter wanted. And I'm like, how destructive and insane is that? But parents, we all, like, we're so exhausted being parents. It is so tempting to just give up and give in and blah, blah, blah. But these standards, these standards have to become a part of who you are as a parent. No, we don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because we follow Christ. Because Jesus Christ is real. He died. He rose. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference in the way I buy my groceries. That's the way I told the parents at one of the parent meetings. Because I said, what, what, give me a for instance. And I was like, modesty. That's a huge one. That's really uncomfortable. And a whole bunch of people in this listening to this might have been like, yeah. like you got to be modest. The other thing is, what do you do on your Sundays? If you're like most Americans, you do what you did on your Saturdays with a little church attached. And I said, let's start a consumer revolution by not shopping on Sundays. Sometimes, because of my poor planning, I find myself at the grocery store on Sunday afternoon being like, oh, crap, I forgot all this stuff. Okay. But what? How, who suffers the most from a seven-day work week? The poor. The working poor, usually service industry, you know, that catering to your family's brunch on a Sunday because you couldn't do it on a Saturday. Like, we need to be able to unhook, to go full Chick-fil-A and unhook our oh, family Chick from the economic machine. Yeah, find some holy leisure that you can do in your house. Yeah. You know, maybe you cook your own brunch. Maybe you play football in the backyard instead of parking in front of the TV for 12 hours. Sundays are for, oh, you're talking about my wife and her NASCAR watching, I get it. Sundays are for family, for faith, and for works of mercy and charity. That's all you're supposed to be doing on a Sunday. Right, so yes, leisure, rest, but rest doesn't mean indulgent in, in all these stuff. It means recreative stuff, right? Playing football with your kids is awesome, right? Having uh having a meal, inviting families to come over and having a meal means on Saturday you go out and get your shopping done. Now you can still work, right? Like work around the house. I mean, like you can do I, yard I, work you, or you, clean or something. You like can, that. you can. I would pref I, I think the revolution needs to go further because what we'll do is we'll just push all of our chores to Sunday, right? And so it's like so for me I, I we're all in knowledge work, right? What is a knowledge worker? Uh, a person who drinks a lot of caffeine, sitting in front of a computer, waiting for the email to tell them what their job is that day, right? That's what it means to be a modern yeah, knowledge I mean, worker, right? That hit close to home. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's Slack channels, right? We have like four thousand different inboxes. But think about this. If all I'm doing is sitting down for eight hours a day or however long you're, you know, you're stuck, sometimes doing yard work is actually a rest. You know, it's physically laborious, but it actually might be personally peaceful and restful, right? So I sometimes I will save some yard work for Sunday because, like, I feel like, okay, I'm going to put some headphones on, listen to some music, and I'm going to go mow and, because I've literally been sitting. Okay, that's fine. But I, I would encourage you, don't use Sundays to clean the bathrooms. Don't use Sundays to clean the kitchen floors and all that stuff. You might have to because you just had a potluck. But, God, I mean, imagine what our culture would be like if we kept Sunday holy. So clear standards like this, pass on to your kids. We don't do that. I don't care that you want to go watch a movie. It's Good Friday. 
We don't go to school. I don't go to work. We stay home. We go to mass. We do the elevation of the cross, you know, veneration of the cross, and we come home and we just are somber. It's a different experience. We don't go to we don't go to work. We don't go to school on Easter Monday. We take off, right? We celebrate things like your baptismal day. That's a new thing in our family. Thank you, Father David Huss, who keeps talking about that. Uh, my wife is like, I got it. And I said, got what? And she's like, all the dates of everyone in her family's baptisms. And I was like, oh, now I'm just going to spend more money. Sure. <laughs> that's how I look at things because I'm yeah, a curmudgeon. Yeah, right. No, but that's a, uh, it ties into number one uh, because there's going to be a lot of sacrifices with yeah. this way of living. Yeah. Uh, but you have to begin with the end in mind. So uh, Shelly Wilson had to sacrifice uh, her daughter's goodwill for that particular evening yeah. with the end in mind of her daughter is going to have a habit of not going to party with senior boys on rooftops, you know? Yeah, I mean, with that, alcohol and knowing it. I mean, like, how insane is that? And let's be honest. The whole Wilson family is pretty incredible. Yeah. They're they're pretty incredible, including Hillary, who was a youth in my program, and it's all due to me. Oh, well, some due to you. <laughs> That's one that you could practice right now. I yep. can I can start this right now, have a habit of um, keeping Sundays free and, and with holy leisure, things that are life-giving. Yeah. I can live very obviously Christian, and then by the time I have a kid who can watch me, hopefully, I will have, this will be uh, easy for me. Yeah. I guess it never gets easy, right? But um, it becomes more habitual. Yeah. Yeah. That's the point. But number five. Number five is the tricky one. Am I ready to train up my child? Yeah. Interestingly phrased. Why mm-hmm. is it phrased like that? Okay, let's go back to CrossFit. There's a woman in my neighborhood. Uh, I don't think she lives there anymore. I haven't seen her in a long time. But she is a CrossFitter. And she was preparing for uh, one of these CrossFit regionals to go on to the CrossFit Games, which I've seen the CrossFit Games. I did not derive any entertainment joy out of them at all. They seem like shenanigans to me. But there's one thing that is intense, and it's called a Murph run, named after uh, a U.S. Navy SEAL. I think his name was Michael Murphy, who died, and they started doing these runs where you take a vest and you weight it down with weight plates, and you go for these, like it's like a mile out, a mile back, whatever it is. So she was training for a Murph run, and she was wearing the vest and wearing all this stuff, and she had a sticker over the front of her weight vest, and it said, don't just work out, train. And I thought, train, that's a really cool idea, a really cool way of thinking about this. Training means I have a specific point, right? So if you're maybe, oh, I don't know, like me, who you're about to enter into your 40s, right? Oh, good Lord. And uh, you find that the weight gain that comes with life and a sedentary lifestyle is a lot harder to get rid of than it was in your 20s and even in your 30s. Uh, someone said to me one time, what difference does it mean like getting older, like especially when you're in your 30s? And I said, when you turn 35, you no longer have a right knee and a left knee. You just have a good knee and a bad mm-hmm, knee. Mm-hmm. And it's totally like I was like 36 years old. I'm like, what is wrong with my left knee? That's like, just how it is now. It's just how, okay, that's it. I guess I have bad knees. Uh, <laughs> so I guess every time when I stand up, I go, ugh. ugh. Yeah. This idea of having a point, a goal for physical health makes total sense, right? So what do you do when you want to train? Well, number one, you have a goal. So couch to 5K. I don't, have you ever heard of that phrase, couch to 5K? No. What does that mean? It's an it's a incredibly popular way of getting people who are couch potatoes up and out and doing physical exercise. So couch to 5K. You have a goal to run 3.107 miles, right? So you're going to go run a 5K. You need to train. 
and you need to train over X amount of weeks. It's about an eight week. Usually the program is about eight weeks long. You're not if you've never run or it's been years since you've like full out sprinted or ran or jogged. Well, if you just go out like an idiot, like I did when I started training for my 5K at my old church, I got out and I just ran and ran. And then like for four days, I'm like, what happened to my body? Right. So you got to, you know, you jog for 60 seconds, you walk for two minutes, you jog for. So they have this whole regimen. But here's the deal. You have a coach, you have a trainer, you have a goal, you have people that critique you, you have people that encourage you, you have all that. What does a personal trainer do? They evaluate you according to the goal and where you realistically are right now. Well, I mean, what what is confession, right? It's this constant understanding that I'm holding up a mirror to where I am and where I need to be. And I'm going to accuse myself, which is known as repentance, so that I can get rid of the bad things, the bad habits, the bad attitudes, the bad whatever. And I'm going to run the race so as to win. Oh, wouldn't you know it? I just quoted scripture. That's how St. Paul often used an analogy of athleticism and running a race. He says, you know, athletes run for a perishable crown. We run for an imperishable one, right? So he says, so run so as to win, right? But we know that the moral life means I got to develop virtues just like an athlete needs to develop skills. A craftsman needs to develop skills, techniques, all this stuff in order to accomplish what is the goal. And the goal is to be like Christ, a holy Catholic adult, right? So training your children means you got to be the coach. So how does one, I can see how you would set up a goal in a 5K or you want to start benching, you yeah. know, 100 pounds. I'm, yeah. I'm way behind in that. But how do, how do you set up a goal in the spiritual life? Yeah, that's or, great. Okay, so first things you, you will notice is behaviors, right? Because we don't know the interior lives of kids, right? We often underrate the spiritual depth of children. We often do that. And that was uh, awakened in me when I was a middle school youth minister. And the previous guy who was a good friend of mine, I used to serve on his core team, he went off to join a religious order. And I uh, took over youth ministry at St. Lawrence in Sugarland. And he used to do Lectio Divinas, a pattern of meditating on sacred scripture. He, he would teach us to six, seven, 300 6th, 7th, and 8th graders in a room. He would teach that every week. And they would have 15 minutes and about 10 minutes of silence. And he would just do a group guided you know, meditation. And I started after him and we would do a reflection on a parable. And these kids, number one, they could enter into silence. They could spend about five minutes in stillness and silence meditating on scripture. And then reply to me in front of their peers with smart, honest, and I would say holy answers right? And, and reflections. And I felt God said to me, you know, and you're like, whoa, this is incredible. Now I can see with my own children, training them means first and foremost, the, out, the external behaviors. Do my kids know how to say a Hail Mary and our Father and a Glory Be? If they can do that, they can pray a rosary, right? I might have to say the Apostles' Creed and the Hail Holy Queen, but they can do everything in the middle, right? The simplified rosary. Here's the deal. I, I would tell this to parents all the time, and there's an excellent Protestant author. He's a Reformed Church guy named James um, S.K. Uh, something, something. James, my, my boy Jimmy, uh, he wrote a book called Desiring the Kingdom. And he talks about, uh, in these lectures for the book, he's like, you know what you need to do for your kids? More than just teach them the doctrines of the church, teach them how to stand when they pray and how to fold their hands and Teach them how to kneel down in prayer and what that looks like. And as a Catholic, what I started doing with my own kids is 
teach my son that, yeah, I can say, oh, look at that tabernacle. You see that little light on? That's the lamp of the presence. And that means in the tabernacle are consecrated hosts. And we believe with the words of the priests over the proper matter, the unleavened bread is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Now, you can tell people that doctrine. But how about every single time Father Jesse or Father David or Father Matthew walk in front of a tabernacle with that lamp on before mass, when they're getting ready for mass, they stop and they genuflect and they do the sign of the cross, right? In their bodies, they just show that they take that absolutely seriously. So with my kids, training them, how do you do the sign of, no, you don't go down on your left knee, you go down on your right knee, you genuflect on your right knee, you take your right hand and you do the sign of the cross, forehead, stomach, shoulder, shoulder, hands together, things like that for little ones, that's all you need. Because then they habituate that and they learn, oh, there's that box. There's the tabernacle. There's the bread that's now Jesus. And so as they begin to do this, you'll find over time, you'll have your kids who will do things like they'll come in for mass and instead of wanting to talk to each other or play a little car like my son Thomas in the pew, they kneel down, they do the sign of the cross and they pray and then they do the sign of the cross and sit like, okay, I didn't tell them to do that. Maybe sometimes I do, but mm-hmm. they're starting to do that on their own. That's an internally motivated thing. Then my daughter would say, Daddy, last night I couldn't sleep, so I prayed two decades of the rosary and finally fell asleep. Like These are the markers along the way of you're seeing your kids internalize the things you're teaching them externally. Just like a runner. I mean, there are people who have bad form with running. And you got to, no, your posture, hold your shoulders back, but keep them relaxed. Keep your elbows bent, but not tense, like you're about to punch someone, right? Like, do this and do that and shift this and shift that. Well, eventually, they'll habituate that, right? It becomes internal to them, and they do it. That's part of the process, moral judgments. Mom, Dad, I'm not going to go out tonight. Why not? All your friends are going out. Shady scene, man. I just found out that the seniors are drinking, and it's only freshman girls, and that and that's not a good look, Right? That's how you start to see these, making moral decisions, inviting your kids into them. I can't get over these seniors. Uh, I know, right? so sketchy, so it's weird. so sketchy. They were incoming freshmen. It was the summer before, so they're that basically so eighth graders. so weird. Man, I... Uh, Don't you want your daughter to be popular? Not at that cost. I just... I, I played a lot of ping pong in high school, you yeah. know? I, I was like... Really, it was bowling for me. Chess and stuff. It was a it's bowling. different scene. All the me. Christian kids went bowling. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, it, it strikes me that it takes an, advan- a, mm-hmm. an advanced prayer life and, and spiritual life and internal life to be able to be any type of coach to a kid. I mean, again, it takes to- a prayer life, not an advanced one. See, that's the thing that I think prevents parents from modeling this. And it, I think there's a fear, like even with good parents who love their faith. They're like, well, I don't know it that much. It's like, if you know more than them, you're good right, to go. Sure, sure. right. Yeah. So you just like like an NFL coach or something. They're yeah. not better than the players, <laughs> but they they ha- they know the ropes and they they're watching. They're watching yeah. very carefully, and so they can offer some guidance. Yeah, and the difference, you know, we always joke. My brother Brian, he's a coach, and uh, up in Kansas, in in Salina, Kansas, and we always say, well, those who can do and those who can't coach, right? So, <laughs> which always makes them mad. Um, but the idea is, yeah, that, that makes sense for sports. Like, you know, some of the best coaches were former athletes because they know it internally. But coaches are great because they know what to look for better than anyone else, and they could communicate it effectively to go from point A to point B to point C, right? That's what you want in a coach. Christianity, it's a little bit different because you can't really truly internalize what a player needs to do for, to go from point A to point B to point C unless you yourself have already done it. 
It's a full participant sport, even from the coaches. This is awesome. I think these this is going to be very helpful for a lot of parents and and for people who are preparing to become parents. I mean, yeah. um, you know, if you're single or, or dating or engaged, I mean, the, these are things you need to. Or start. you're a core member, or, or a, a, member. a catechist. You're volunteering with young people. These are the things we need to a- ask and answer. Not not waiting until they're 25 right. and you're wondering why they're not going to church on Sundays. I mean, yeah. taking proactive steps right now to um, to ensure that your kids see the faith uh, acted out in you. So. Yeah, and and so the last message I would say is, this is the only place where the faith is taken seriously. If you can answer these questions in the way the church wants you to. So what we want to do is build that into all of our faith formation youth ministry programs. So if you're an adult and you don't know how to do this, we're here to help you, right? We're here to help you at every step. You want to learn more about your faith? We got Bible studies out the wazoo. We got church teaching out the wazoo. We got stuff all across the board. We got audios like this. We're going to roll out a new podcast. We have tons of stuff. Or you can just call me. Don't call me. Email me. Come into my office. We can chat. Hours. We got hours, son. But here's the deal. When it comes to the sacramental life of your children, we will not administer the sacraments in a faithless home. See, that this has repercussions. If you're not modeling it, we are not a store that if you come and give us the right payment, good enough attendance, blah, 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 we just give the goods of the church away. That is not what we are. People come with a very consumer attitude towards the faith, and we have very, I have very difficult conversations with these parents. It's like if you're not living it at home, if you're not going to mass, why would you send them to class? It's undoing everything you're telling. Well, we're nervous because of COVID. That's a very common answer right now. We still have the dispensation. So let me just say, for all of you nervous because of COVID, it still doesn't work because it's not serious enough. So we have multiple mass times that you can come where the, the amount of people in the congregation is minimal. So if you're still nervous, 7 a.m. or the 5 p.m., those are excellent masses to go to where you can have a section to yourself yeah. almost two 250 people in a 1435 seat church so i'm saying you're undermining your child's faith if you're not living it as a family right now and the the idea that we keep saying in all of our sack prep and all of our faith formation is if you're not living it let us help you live it if you don't want to live it your kids are not receiving the sacraments from us so, because these are eternal significant things, which is difficult to communicate via podcast. A heavy duty is placed on, on parents as the yeah. primary educators of their kids in all areas, including yeah. the faith. So, um, Catechists we, make excellent supplements, but terrible substitutes for parents. Yes, they are not the parents. So right. no matter what they do, I think we have a great team here. We do. No matter what they do, they need good parents at yeah. home. So. And we want to help you. And they're here to help. So, Mike, thanks for coming on and, and sharing the five crucial questions every Catholic parent must answer. Woo! Woo. I'm sorry. I get Was really that, excited about my uh, listicle uh, <laughs> title, about my link bait title. That's all we got. And number three will scare you. <laughs> thanks for thanks for tuning in. Again, Tony Melendez next Friday, October 15th. We hope you can join us. We'll see you at St. Anthony's soon. Yeah. God bless.